Welcome back to Derek's Heretics, your one-stop shop for everything weird, unexplained, and macabre. Follow me down these dark rabbit holes and we'll see where we land. We're going to discuss everything from the paranormal, conspiracies, suicides, murders, hell, everything that goes bump in the night. Glad you're here with us. Look forward to it. Welcome back to Derek's Heretics. This is going to be our third episode. It's official. It's a trilogy. Let's hope we can turn it into a series. Y'all got to keep listening, though. Hopefully we're doing something right. So how do you feel tonight, Bert? Oh, awful. That means he's having a good day. <laughs> so tonight we're going to discuss something that everybody probably has heard about. Something that was really dark and evil. The Amityville Murders. And then, well, that didn't go well. <laughs> then after that, we're going to dis- uh, discuss the aftermath. More importantly, the hauntings that happened. <laughs> That's right. You're going to be scared just like that goat. You ready for this? I am ready. So, what do you know about the Amityville Murders? I know you've seen the movie, The Amityville Haunting. I know, you know that it makes a hell of a horror film. It does. But the story behind it, the story was spawned yeah. all those movies and books, was a hell of a lot scarier. And it centers around one cat named Ronald DeFeo Jr. Ronald DeFeo Jr., who's now 67 years old, they called him Butch, was convicted... Uh, Six counts of second-degree murder and sentenced six concurrent sentences of 25 years of life. I'm pretty confident he ain't getting out any time this century. He's, He's done. He's done. Okay. So basically what happened is uh, Ron DeFeo went in there with a shotgun and blew all of his family away. I don't know if they took his car keys away or if maybe SpongeBob didn't play. He was pissed. He was mad enough that he decided to off his whole family. Um, so here's here's how the initial... Um, murder happened. It was around 6.30 p.m. on Wednesday, November 13, 1974. The young 23-year-old DeFeo entered Henry's Bar in Amityville, Long Island, New York and declared, you've got to help me. I think my mother and father are shot. So he runs straight down to the bar and says, help me, help me, help me, Lord. I need a life alert. Somebody's fell and they're dead. DeFeo and a small group of people went to his residence, which was located near the bar, I sent a really Irish just in. They sounded like you're ready to burn. They found his parents were really dead. Really dead. Really, really dead. <laughs> I mean, dead. Um, one of the group made an emergency call to the Suffolk, Suffolk County Police who searched the house and found that six members of the same family were dead in their beds. The victims were Ronald Jr.'s parents, Ronald DeFeo Sr., his mother, Louise DeFeo, and his four siblings, Don, Allison, Mark, and John Matthew. All of the victims were shot with a 35 caliber lever action. So this was a young dude. Marlon Rock. Yeah, yeah, it was you, young. Oh, I thought it was like a dude with a, with like a family, like a father that... Oh. No, I mean, well, I mean, it was a big family. It was a big house. I think you're thinking of the aftermath. We'll get to that. Okay. But 
they all got shot at around three o'clock in the morning of that day, three o'clock. And for those of you that are like us and paranormal enthusiasts, there is a correlation to 3 a.m. Period. Give a damn what you look at. It's the demonic witching hour. It's supposed to mirror uh, the biblical, is it the... I thought it was Cruci- like the opposite of crucifixion. That's what it is. Yeah, it's, it, it mirrors the crucifixion of Jesus. Um, sorry, I shouldn't have known that, but I was on the spot. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> DeFeo was the oldest of the family. He was taken to local, local... Damn, I'm having a hard time talking. I think it might be a stroke. <laughs> He was taken to the local hospital station for his own protection after suggesting the police officer had seen the crime that the killing has been carried out by none other than the mafia. I, I'm sure that there's more to this that, you know, happened as far as why he conjured that up or maybe just full of shit. Um, but eventually he told him that once he started, he just couldn't stop it. It was just so fast. He admitted that he had taken a bath and redressed and detailed where he discarded crucial evidence such as bloodstained clothes and the Marlin rifle and cartridges before going to work as usual. So he shot these these people at 3 o'clock in the morning, right? Mm-hmm. said, oh, God, I need a shower. <laughs> went and took a shower, went on to work, had some lunch. It's going to get paid. And he's like, hey, I'm going to go to the bar and tell everybody they're dead. Because... <laughs> Why the hell not? So there's a lot of odd things about what happened. Now let's start with that first. Number one, they didn't live in a very rural community. It was a pretty, you know, close knit spot. You know, and I'm sure it's like suburbs, right? Where would you say Long Island? Mm-hmm. And everybody got shot with a 35 caliber rifle. I don't give a damn what kind of rifle you shoot. They're going to make some noise. Every one of the people that was shot was still in bed. So he went room to room, offing his whole family. And they're Nobody all, woke up. They're all in the bed. The mom and the dad, bed together. Brothers, sisters, everybody in bed. Nobody woke up. Um, they really don't know why he done it. There was a lot of speculation that DeFeo Sr. was a little rough, especially on him. He's 23 years old. So dude has like a... Some daddy issues. Yeah. You know, I don't think he decided to so sign. So there's no like definitive motive. Not that I can wrong. see. Um, whenever they went to court, they mattered in a defensive insanity. Uh, DeFeo claimed that while he was killing his family in self-defense because he heard voices plotting against him. The insanity plea was supported by the, psychiatr- by the psychiatrist for the defense, Dr. Daniel Schwartz. <laughs> what a quinky dink. I know. Dr. Daniel Schwartz. <laughs> He's an acupuncturist. <laughs> the psych- <laughs> Yeah, there's there's a joke to that. The psychiatrist for the prosecution, Dr. Harold Zolan, maintained that although DeFeo was an abuser of heroin and LSD, he had an antisocial personality disorder and was aware of his actions at the time of the crime. He was subsequently uh, convicted of all six counts of murder, and he's going to rot away in prison. Um, he did use the drugs. The drugs. Was he under the influence of drugs during the time of the murders? 
Nobody knows. I'm sure they. I mean, this is just a you know broad oh. look at it. I'm sure they know. You know, some of the controversies that were surrounding around this were, like I touched on before, the victims. Um, they were all face down, lying on their stomachs in the beds with no signs of struggle. The police investigation concluded that the rifle had not been fitted with a sound suppressor, suppressor and found no evidence of sedatives having been administered as initially thought, leading to speculation someone in the house should have been awakened by the noises of gunshots. Police officers and a medical examiner who attended the scene were initially puzzled by the quickness and scale of the killings and considered the possibility that more than one person was responsible for the crime. There was one theory that the oldest sister helped him, but then again, she got shot in bed belly down, so must have done it without her. <laughs> Neighbors also did not report hearing any gunshots, and those that were awake at the time of the murder simply heard the family's dog, Shaggy, <laughs> ironic, barking. Uh-oh. Um, like I said before, he had a volatile relationship with his father, but the motive still remained unclear. He asked the police what he had to do in order to collect his father's life insurance, which obviously prompted them to think that he'd done it and found out he did do it. He's gave a lot of different accounts as to why he'd done it. Um, everything from daddy issues to getting the insurance money but the voices stuck out because at one point in time during one interview he claimed that he was demonically possessed that the uh, voices would not stop until he'd done it uh, he constantly told him to kill him uh, that could be you know intensified with the drug use but I've been around a lot of heroin abusers and most of the time they don't go off and kill everybody they might hear some shit do heroin the right way, chances are you're going to bed. Sometimes for a long time. We're at final nap. <laughs> Where they have my pillows everywhere. Uh, according to Osuna, Rick Osuna, he apparently done a book with the Def- uh, DeFeo Jr. and he claimed that, uh, he committed the murders with his sister, Dawn, and two friends out of desperation because his parents had plotted to kill him. His story always changed. The only thing that remained current is that he killed him and you knew he killed him. So let's, let's talk about that for a second <clears throat> in itself. You got a young guy, 23 years old, in the 70s. He's probably doing drugs. Hell, everybody in the 70s done drugs, I'm pretty sure. Peak of LSD. Just decides that he's going to go. And, you know, LSD does cause you to hallucinate. I don't know. You know what? You know what? I'm going to go down there. invisible hallucinations, right? LSD. I'm going to dive down this little rabbit hole together. I should have already done this. You looking up the facts of LSD? No, I know what that is. I'm not right now. <laughs> I'm, I'm joking. Um, let's see if he if it says anything. If there was a toxicology report ever, ever mentioned, I'm not seeing anything on the Google because it's worth the Google. Anything's worth a Google. Hmm. 
I'm not seeing anything that sticks out. And it's three in the morning. But so anyway, he killed his whole family. Cold blood murder. They're not really sure it's why he did it. All single shot. 35 caliber rifle to the back while they're all laying belly down, which sounds kind of, uh, that would fit the hitman thing because it's execution style, but at the same time, there's really no motive. So they were shot in the back, back in the head? Does it say? Oz says they were laying face down on their stomachs with no signs of struggle. I'm sure we could pull up autopsy pictures, but I mean, needless to say, they were all shot. And somebody should have woke up. You know, yeah. at least one child or one family member should have been this seen. This is the thing. You got six people in a house. Bedrooms are going to be right beside each other. Walls aren't that thick, so. I mean. And he, you know, like I said, he, he claimed he was hearing voices that pushed him to do it. The drugs may have intensified that. Um, I have my own theories on that being a paranormal researcher myself, that some of those medications that you take, even though you're high, they open up a part of your brain that would subject you to listen to things that maybe you wouldn't hear otherwise. That's why drugs are bad yeah, people. Like they make you more susceptible to... More vulnerable to the another realm. Yeah. Okay, well, following all this, this happened in 1974... 13 months later, after the DeFeo murders, George and Kathleen Lutz bought the house for what they thought was a hell of a price. It's a big-ass house. I mean, it, obviously, this was back in 75, and they bought it for $80,000, and that was a steal. So it's, it's a big one. It was a five-bedroom house built in Dutch colonial style, distinctive gambrel roof, just <clears throat> swimming pool and a boathouse. Big, nice house. Oh, so this is a lake community. Mm -hmm. Oh, I remember seeing that in the movie. There you go. House, yeah. yeah, exactly. So this this is where the movie and the book start to come into play. They don't really, they, they kind of briefly talk about that. You know, George Lutz embellished the fact that, you know, they bought a haunted house. There's a lot of speculation on whether his motives were really true or not because they didn't stay in there very long. I think it was 28 days that they made it total in that house. And in that time, the Lutzes, according to the book that was supposed to, that was wrote in the book, was based on a true story. It was written by Jay Anson and it's titled The Amityville Horror, A True Story. It says that George and the rest of the family would, George would wake up at 3.15 every morning and would go out to check the boathouse. Later, he would learn that this was uh, the estimated time of the DeFeo killings. The house was plagued with swarms of flies despite the winter weather. Kathy had vivid nightmares about the murders and discovered the order in which they occurred in the rooms where they took place. The Lutz children also began sleeping on their stomachs in the same way that the dead bodies in the DeFeo murders had been found. Oh, man, wow, that's creepy. Now, Kathy would feel a sensation as if being embraced in a loving manner by an unseen force. George discovered a small hidden room about four feet by five feet behind shelving in the basement. The walls were painted red and the room did not appear in the blueprints of the house. The room came to be known as the Red Room. Red Room. 
The Shining. That's weird. This is what I remember, all of what you're talking about now, from the movies. Okay. The, the room had a profound effect on their dog, Harry, who refused to go in it and cowered as if sensing something ominous. There were cold spots and odors of perfume and excrement in the areas of the house where no wind drafts or piping would explain the source. While tending to the fire, George and Kathy saw the image of a demon with his head blown out. It was burned into the soot in the back of the fireplace. The Lutz's five-year-old daughter, Missy, developed an imaginary friend named Jody, a demonic pig-like creature with glowing red eyes. Because, I mean, why the hell not would that be your friend? <laughs> exactly. Uh, I mean, damn. First off, if your kid tells you that they're talking to a pig-like person with red eyes, it's time to find new friends. <laughs> I'm not talking about, you know, somebody just ugly, but that's scary. Why would you want to be friends with that? Maybe we need to look at this child. <laughs> I mean, who the hell would do that? Exactly. I mean, if one of my kids, and I got four kids, so I got a, I've got a higher chance that one of them would say something fucked up like that. If one of them looks at me like that and says, number one, I'm going to begin to think the house is haunted. Right. Just because that's where I'm going to go with it. Number two, I'm going to wonder what the hell my kids eat. <laughs> that's not normal. Anyway, I digress. In the early morning hours of Christmas Day, 1975, George looked up at the house after checking on the boathouse and saw Jody, the pig-like creature, standing behind Missy at her bedroom window. When he ran up to her room, he found her fast asleep with her small rocking chair slowly rocking back and forth. Okay. George would wake up to the sound of the front door slamming, race downstairs, find the dog sleeping, and nothing there. Nothing he would hear what he described as a marching band tuning up or sound like a clock radio playing not quite on frequency. George realized he had bore a strong resemblance to Ronald DeFeo Jr. and began drinking into Witch's Brew, the bar where DeFeo had originally concocted the story that his parents may be dead. When closing Missy's window, Missy said Jody climbed out of, Kathy saw red eyes glowing at her. While in bed, Kathy received red welts on her chest caused by an unseen force and was levitated two feet in the air. How the hell she knew it was two feet, we don't know. <laughs> but it was two feet. As far as I'm concerned, two inches is far enough to be floating. <laughs> Locked doors and windows in the house were damaged by an unseen force. Cloven hoof, pr hoof prints attributed to enormous pig, once again, that child's friend, appeared in the snow outside the house January 1st, 1976. Green gelatin-like slime oozed from the walls and hall and also from the keyhole of the playroom door in the attic. Apparently, those ghosts needed mucinex. <laughs> Little stuffy. A 12-inch crucifix hung on the wall, revolved until it was upside down and gave off a sour smell. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything of any grand significance. George saw Kathy transform into an old woman of 90, the hair with a shocking white, the face, massive wrinkles and ugly lines, and saliva dripping from a toothless mouth. So apparently a bitch is going to be ugly when she gets old. That's freaking And man. she got rabies. And on one occasion, Kathy heard what sounded like a window being opened and closed to the sewing room 
door even though she was sure no one was there. After deciding that something was wrong with their house they could not explain, George and Kathy Lust carried out a blessing of their own on January 8, 1976. George held a silver crucifix while they both recited the Lord's Prayer. While in the living room, George allegedly heard a chorus of voices asking them, Will you stop? By mid-76, another attempt at a <clears throat> house blessing by George and Kathy. They experienced what they would turn out to be their final night in the house. The lessons declined to give a full account of the events that took place on this occasion, describing them as too frightening. After getting in touch with Father Mancuso, the Lutzes decided to take some belongings, stay at Kathy's mother house in Deer Park, New York, until they had sorted out the problems with the house. They claimed that the phenomena followed them there with the final scene of Anson's book describing greenish-black slime them sick-ass ghosts come up that staircase towards them. On January 14th, 1976, George and Kathy Lutz, with their three children and their dog Harry, left 112 Ocean Avenue, leaving all their possessions behind. The next day, a mover came in to remove the possessions to send to the Lutzes. He reported no paranormal phenomena while inside the house. And from most reports that you'll see, because I'm pretty sure that the house is vacant or uh, occupied now, Nobody's ever really experienced anything. Now, another thing that <clears throat> was controversial with this story was that at some point in time, I think Ed and Lorraine Warren came and investigated it. And let me, let me double check that I don't see anything on this so after those people left there's been no accounts of any kind of supernatural activity not that I've seen I'm not saying that it hasn't I, there's been a couple stories that I've seen that haven't they've not seen anything Oh, it also says here that um, the Lutz family tried on numerous occasions to contact the Catholic priest only to find the phones were cut off and whenever they would try to call. They, uh, I thought that a priest did come there at one point in time. Yes, Ed and Lorraine Warren did investigate this. According to this, a team of reporters, investigators, and parapsychologists were assembled by Ed Warren and met at the home, and the Lutz family refused to re-enter the home during the investigation. During the investigation, Ed was physically pushed to the floor while using some religious provocation in the basement. Lorraine was also overwhelmed by the sense of a demonic presence and was plagued by her psychic impressions of the DeFeo family's bodies laid along the floor covered in white sheets. Here's the thing about the Warrens. They're a huge deal in the paranormal community. Um, Lorraine Warren is still alive, and she was actually... Uh, Um, what do you call it whenever you overlook something? Like you're 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 watching to make sure it looks okay. Like supervisor, she she helped supervise um, the Conjuring one and two because those were both cases they were involved in. And but a lot of people think that everything that they touch turns to shit because they think they're money hungry. And that's what a lot of people thought about the Lutzes. The Lutzes bought the house, had all this shit happen. They're like, hey, let's cut a book deal um. and some movies. You know, and then it's only backed up by people saying that they've not 
So you think they were trying to cash in on the fact that those murders happened, <clears throat> and they wanted to throw it off on like a supernatural demonic uh, happening? Possibly, but it's also been came to light that while they were there, George Lutz was <clears throat> into some black juju shit. Oh, he's dabbling the black magic, black oh. arts, dark arts. Mm-hmm. Um, Ouija boards, trying to conjure shit. So he's provoking this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, big time. So even even though somebody else may not say it, it may have been localized to just them. Um, one of the theories that I have is any time that there is an abrupt end, an abrupt end to our living body, where malicious intent is involved. Or anything out of the norm. Obviously, being shot while you're asleep leaves a stain. And if Young DeFeo Jr. was actually on the drugs that they say he was on, and if there was something oppressing him, because as I've as I've discussed, demonic possession starts out in three stages. The infestation stage could have been what he was in. You know, you got a young kid. Shitty upbringing, depression, dabbling in drugs. Spiritually, he's weak. Mm-hmm. So something may prey on him. Ah. <laughs> so it hooks on him, and, you know, and it starts whispering some shit to him, you know, kind of like, you know, kill your family. <laughs> Shoot your brothers and sisters. Make sure their stomach's down. <laughs> then we'll go get a beer and tell everybody we didn't do it. <laughs> and he's like, hey, why not? <laughs> Uh, I mean, there's there's a lot, of, and it's kind of one of those things. There's so much muddy water, and some of it's so odd that you can't explain it. Uh, there's a picture that's circulating that's you know pretty renowned of a little boy that supposedly looked like one of DeFeo's younger brothers with white eyes, you know, around the staircase that somebody took, and I, I I'm not even going to try to remember who took it. But going back to the Warrens. The Warrens have been known to fluff whatever they want. Uh, I think it was the Enfield Poltergeist, the Conjuring 2, what it was around. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was it, that he told somebody, you know, there was some stuff that happened, but put whatever the hell you need to in there. Make it scary. Yeah. So that doesn't help their case. I mean, and we've done a couple of investigations and hopefully look to do a few more this year. I don't want to fluff anything. Hell, the shit's scary enough by itself. If you hear someone talking that's not there, that's good enough for me. If you take a picture and there's somebody there that wasn't before, that's good enough for me. If you start telling me to kill my family, that's no bueno. (laughs) No bueno at all. Um, But if DeFeo was oppressed, he did carry out those, and then Lutz comes in using the Ouija board and you know, sacrificing chickens naked in the basement trying to get some shit to go down. He may have got what he asked for. And it may have went south for him quickly. It sounds like if he was fucking with the Ouija board, he definitely opened up a can of worms. You want to play one now, don't you? No. Yeah. Never. <laughs> I would never touch a Ouija board. Even in the box? 
Absolutely so not. So what if you were walking in the store and one fell down? You wouldn't pick it back up? That would be automatic uh, panic attack and run. You're a rude bastard. What about those people that work there? <laughs> not my problem. Well, we're going to do a podcast on Ouija boards one day. If I even see a Ouija board in the aisle or the board game section, I will do my best to avoid it completely. I'm going to buy one and put it in your mailbox. I will burn your house down. <laughs> <laughs> and the Ouija board told me to do it. <laughs> <laughs> so let's take that chance to take a small break real fast and we'll come back and we'll touch upon this a little bit more and we will end this trilogy hey friends unknown redneck here kevin's podcast show just want to let y'all know i just done listened to your first podcast and it done scared me mm, that 9-11 stuff and that there sleep paralysis scared me to death i'm telling you but anyhow, next time I'm going to get Cheryl to listen to it with me so I won't be so scared. That's a good podcast. I appreciate you. Anyhow, it's Unknown Redneck, and you know where I am. We really hope that you're enjoying this podcast from us. We're really working hard to give you the best content that we can. Also, if you like ours, you should give our friends a good listen to. Uh, the first one being the KPS, Kevin's Podcast Show where you can get woke and listen to some government news and some political stuff that only he can put his own spin on. Every time I listen to one of his, I feel like I'm a little bit smarter. And as a public safety member, myself, you should also listen to Drew McSalty's Shift Ender podcast. If you work in any kind of pre-hospital setting, you can appreciate what he's doing. And if not, maybe you can learn something new. Give those guys a check. We're back. I guess this will be the closing segment of the third episode, the third installment, the trilogy, the trifecta <laughs> of this greatness we began. So what do you think about all this? For somebody um, that just watched the movie and didn't really know the backstory. I think it's creepy as hell, especially once you got into, you know, Got into like the supernatural stuff, the second half or the the later happenings. And and that's one of the things you you kind of have to take that with a grain of salt, because none of it can be verified. I'm not saying that I don't believe it happened, but I wasn't there. You know, you said earlier that it could just be all fluff if they try to capitalize on mm-hmm. the events, but I like and I choose to believe that it's more than that because. Well, I do too. I'm just, for, for the sake of, of giving this story out there, you kind of have to stay and give the facts in a neutral manner. I firmly believe that it was real. You know, but that's just me. You know, there's a lot of people who going to argue that have been able to dive into it and, you know, and, and really look at it. You know, even right here it says, George Lutz maintained that the events in the books were mostly true and denied any suggestion of dishonesty on his part. They took a polygraph test. Um, they did not indicate they were lying. They did a two-part documentary on it in October of 2000. George Lutz commented in an interview, I believe this has stayed alive for 25 years because it's a true story. It doesn't mean that everything that's ever been said about it is true. It's certainly not a hoax. It's really easy to call something a hoax. I wish it was. It's not. And that kind of goes back to... There's always going to be skeptics when it comes to this kind of stuff. 
and, and it goes back to there has to be an answer for everything. And if you look at the age that we live in, um, the age of technology, anything that you want to know is as simple as, I mean, two clicks and pressing a button on your phone, on your computer. And we have to have answers to everything. God forbid anything be left open. I mean, the imagination of the world is slowly dwindling away unless it's to make us lazier and everything to be easier for us to do, which is fine, but you know, we're losing a lot of grasp on what could be. You know, and you take a guy that depressed on drugs and goes but does something you know, murders six people that he loves. And I'm sure he loved his family. You know, maybe the drugs made him do it. Maybe the glasses uh, were full of shit. Or maybe, you know, he was influenced by something and he was trying to numb it with the drugs and ultimately he couldn't numb it any longer and Luscious went in there fucking with shit that didn't need to be with and stirred yeah. the pot. Maybe it was pretty much just localized to just the dude. And then when Lutz went in there and started stirring the pot, like you said, that's when shit came out. They opened up a gateway that really brought out some kind of demonic oppression that really fucked with them. Well, I mean, <coughs> in my opinion, houses yeah, can be possessed. It's what a haunting is. If it stains enough, I don't know about all that snotty-ass demon goo. Not if it was even snot. <laughs> Maybe it's that dirty demons. <laughs> dirty. Dirty. Clean mouths, chew orbits. <laughs> but I, I liked it. I think we did well. Yeah. 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 Well, that's going to end it for tonight. I've not decided if I'm going to publish this one right now I may wait a few days because I just put out the sequel it's kind of doesn't really look good for the sequel to put out the trilogy immediately later <laughs> we look forward to this and we've got more content we're coming up with our next episode should we tell them what it's going to be about should we tell them or should we wait maybe we should keep them in suspense yeah let's do that y'all come back you hear <laughs>